0: Well, hello. Once again, this is Micah recording another lesson in our our series on the Gospel of Mark. As I have said the last few times, I would much rather be in the Devo room with all of you seated around and us studying the Gospel of Mark together, but we're not afforded um, such luxury during this time. I hope that you're safe. I hope you're doing well. I know school is coming to a close. Um, uh, this semester, at least, is coming to an end. So that means you have an uptick in test and projects and i know that becomes even more difficult when you're um when you're doing all this remotely um thinking of you guys praying uh, uh for you guys last week instead of posting my own recording for the gospel of mark i i took a, a week off i had prepared a lesson but at the last minute and many of you have had seen this um on facebook and uh maybe through our, our our podcast feed, but um, I took a I I took a week off because I I wanted to post two sermons from my predecessor Jim Brinkerhoff um, uh, and to post them for Easter Sunday. It was a sermon; they were sermons that he did on on the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. And I wanted you to have the opportunity to listen to those on Easter Sunday. Jim was a much better teacher and preacher than I am. And I wanted you to hear him as he reflects and meditates upon the story of the crucifixion or resurrection of Jesus. And I hope that you listen to those. I hope that those were helpful and informative for you um, on Easter Sunday. Um but this week we're going to pick back up where we had left off. Um as, as you know, we are at the tail end of a two year study of the Gospel of Mark. And we're doing this to to listen to Um, to, to Mark as he tells us about the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, as he gives us insight into how people reacted to Jesus. And we're wanting to use this time to let this shape our lives, to let this shape our view of Jesus, and ultimately to help us see what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And last week, or really two weeks ago, but the last lesson, we looked at Peter's betrayal of Jesus, and that happened simultaneously with Jesus being on trial, or kind of a pseudo-trial, in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. And so at the very moment that Jesus is is standing before those men, being true to himself, Peter is standing before some guards and some servants in a fire in the courtyard outside of the house where Jesus is on trial, and Peter is not being true to Jesus, and he betrays him. And it's after that, um, it 's after that um, kind of pseudo trial that Jesus has taken before Pilate, and that 's going to be the story that we um, look at today now as is so often the case, we know these stories so well that we almost kind of skim over it it 's like reading a book that you maybe have read two or three or four times before that you 're so familiar with it that you you stop to pay close you stop paying close attention to it and just kind of almost skim through it and in this case. Uh, one of the dangers with the stories of the end of Jesus's life and, and of course, his trials, his um, torture, his his killing, um, the, the dangers with these stories is that we just skim over them. And so one thing I want to try to do over the next few weeks as we close out this gospel is to make sure that we're taking time to really get inside the story and to understand it. And I'm going to try to do that in a uh um, You know, twenty five, thirty minutes. I started out two weeks ago saying I would do fifteen minute lessons. I've given up on that, and at the very least, I'll try to do twenty five minute lessons. Um, But we want to get inside these stories to understand them, and one one reason that we need to do that is because these stories are so complex. There is so much happening. There is so many uh, different motive, different and conflicting motivations. There's so many um, kind of historical forces that are coming to play to kind of not so much force people's hands, but kind of lead people to react in certain ways. And all these things combine to put Jesus on the cross. Now, um, I know that for many of you, history is not an exciting subject, but you might remember um, from different history courses you've had throughout high school and college, um, you might remember important events in human history and how almost fragile they were. In other words, how close they were to not happening. I mean, think about how close it was that um, um, the American Revolution, how close the American Revolution came to failing. Um, and all the different motivations that had to come into play, um, for, for for, example, for the French to want to get involved. Um, think about um, the, the rise of, of, of the Soviet Union in Russia. And you might not know that history as well, but um, but there were a lot of different forces that had to take place for Lenin and his followers to get control of Russia after the Tsar abdicated. Um, the rise of Hitler, um, it, there were a lot of different forces that had to play uh, come to play and different motivations and historical circumstances and the motivations of different leaders and political parties um, for Hitler to get in power. And we can see this all throughout history, that events that are momentous, Events that are important, events that that change the very course of history. Happened all because of of, of this kind of swirl of conflicting um, motivations and desires and all these different people that were involved in it, and and that the situations were so much more complex. And so, in, in in the case of Jesus being on trial before Pilate, we see this. There are so many different kind of swirling motivations that end up putting Jesus on the cross. And so that's kind of what I I want us to pay attention to um, in this. So we're in Mark chapter 15. Um, I'll I'll obviously be reading it and and trying to make sure that if you're listening to this, that you can follow along without having to have your Bible open. But if you do want to follow along, if you are listening to this with your Bible open, turn to Mark chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 15. And this is um, Mark Mark had, had uh, just finished telling us about the betrayal of Peter and how Peter, um, it says, he broke down and wept. And right before that, he had told us about how Jesus had um, had said in, in front of the leaders uh, of the Jewish people, he said that, he, that they would see him, the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And it says that the, the leaders of the Jewish people tore their garments um And they reacted in 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 to to what they perceived as blasphemy and If you remember from two recordings ago, um these men were trying to find some reason to take Jesus before the Roman ruler Pilate um to have him executed because the Jewish people couldn't kind of officially execute people of course, there was mob violence, but they couldn't officially execute people that was up to the Romans, so they needed to have a good reason, so they bring in false witnesses who are telling kind of uh telling lies and um, Half truths and in um, in those witnesses, um, those false witnesses, they could, they uh, their uh, stories conflict, and so it wasn't until Jesus kind of made this blasphemous statement that they felt like they had enough evidence, and so um, after that, and again simultaneously, Peter's out in the courtyard denying Jesus. We, we learn um, that that the um, that in, in chapter fifteen verse one it says that very early in the morning. So remember, Jesus was arrested at night. The trials. Uh, took place overnight, and so very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders, and the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin, so in other words, um, this ruling body of, of the Jewish people there in Jerusalem, um, they made their plans, so they bound Jesus, and this is the first time in the story so far that it's explicitly said that Jesus was bound, um, in other words, that he was treated like a common prisoner, and so Jesus is bound, and it says they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. So um, they had made their plans. They, they realized how they needed to, to, to phrase things, to put things towards Pilate, um, to, and, and to kind of um, um, usher the evidence to have Peter, I mean, to have Jesus, sorry, executed. And so they take Jesus before Pilate um, here in the early morning. Now, um, we, most of us know Pilate simply from the stories in the Gospels, but Pilate uh, ruled um, Judea for about 10 years from 8026 to 8036. And um during this and he was appointed directly by Rome. He would have uh, served under um the supervision of the the legate of um of Syria. So he'd had kind of an uh, uh, someone above him, but the pilot would have had a lot of latitude and power there in Judea and Jerusalem. He lived in, in Caesarea uh, Maritima um and um and and he he didn't live in Jerusalem, but there were there was an official residence in Jerusalem. So Pilate, during the the big festivals where tens of thousands of people would come together, um, come into Jerusalem, he would come and, and stay in that official residence to kind of have the presence of the governor there. Um, Pilate was was known as a a brutal kind of insensitive leader. So. In the Gospels, um, because of several forces that we'll look at, he seemed a a little reluctant to to execute Jesus. He seemed um, like he was being passive in front of the crowds, um, just doing what they want to do. But that was not Pilate's reputation. Um, He had several conflicts with Jewish leaders. Um, There was a lot of tension between him and them. And he was known as as insensitive to their political and religious um, um, uh, needs. And um, so Peter, so Pilate sorry I keep saying Peter, but Pilate was not this kind of weak uh sensitive person, but instead this this brutal ruler um and so they bring Jesus before this guy who who again Pilate's not inclined to do whatever the Jewish leadership wants. there's animosity there, and so that kind of gives us insight into why they worked so hard overnight to make sure that they had good evidence, um even if it was false evidence. Um, and twisted evidence, but good evidence to have Jesus executed, and so um they uh so they bring Jesus before Pilate and and we don't know exactly what the Jewish leaders say to Pilate but, but but Pilate's next words in in the Gospel of Mark um his first words um are there in verse two, and it says he says to Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews now um why would he say this? well clearly it's because Um, that was either a summary or a direct quote of the accusations that the Jewish leaders made against Jesus. And so they're coming and they're saying all these things. And and the way that Pilate understands it, again, whether it was a a direct quotation or his his summary of what the Jewish leaders were saying, is that that Pilate says, oh, uh, they're accusing him of claiming to be the king of the Jews. Now that title, the King of the Jews, might not mean much to us, but in Jesus' day, and certainly before Pilate and the Jewish leaders know this, and even the average Jewish person would have known this, Jesus would have known that, known this, that would have been a very offensive title to the Romans. Because for the Jewish people, that was a nationalistic title, that they had a king that was not Caesar. See, for 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 a long time for the entire rule of the Romans over the Jewish people, they had been difficult for the Romans because they did not want Roman rule, and they were constantly having little uh, uprisings. And so there was a lot of sensitivity amongst uh, Pilate and the Jewish leaders and the Jewish nation to people claiming to be the king of the Jews because that signaled to a lot of the population, a lot of the Jewish population, that that this person, the king of the Jews, was kind of um, going to, to start a national uprising and kick out the Romans. And so when Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews, he's asking Jesus if if Jesus is a political ruler whose authority is a threat to Rome. Now, if you've been tracking along with um, uh, the gospel so far, Jesus hasn't just come out and, and made a political, militaristic claim like that. Um, but remember that he not only claims to be the Messiah um, and, um, in the trial before the Sanhedrin. They say, are you the Messiah? Um, the Son of the Blessed One. And, and his answer not only implies that, yes, I am the Messiah, but it, it gives him a higher authority than that. Um, so Jesus has not only claimed To be the Messiah, but a higher authority than the Messiah, and therefore he's claimed authority over the rulers of Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, and they were their authority to rule came from the Romans. And so Jesus, um, at the very least, has claimed to have authority over the people that the Romans had delegated their authority to in some sense, or at least part of the authority and so you can see that Jesus, his statement to the Sanhedrin, even though it doesn't sound very political to us, and even though it's very theological, the implications of it would have been that he had authority that conflicted with the authority of the Romans. And so Pilate hears all the stuff that the Jewish leaders are saying, um, and he looks at Jesus and he says in verse 2, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, and this is a very confusing response, but he says, You have said so. Now it's it's even more difficult to translate um from the Greek to the English than it might appear. Um it could be it could be interpreted as a denial, but almost no people interpret it that way. Um but instead Jesus seems to kind of be kind of talking uh a little vaguely to kind of say, Well, you've said it, right? What, what you've said is true. So Jesus doesn't come out and directly say, yes, I'm the king of the Jews, but he doesn't come out and directly deny it. Now, why does he do this? It's not very clear, um, but one reason might be that Jesus knows that when Pilate and the Jewish leaders hear king of the Jews, they think of a certain type of figure. And we've discussed this a lot in our study of the Gospel of Mark. They think of somebody who's merely a nationalistic, militaristic leader. And Jesus' claims to be the Messiah, to bring in the kingdom of God, are much more complex than that. And so, Jesus doesn't come out and directly say yes, because the way that Pilate's going to understand what it means to be the king of the Jews isn't how Jesus understands it. But he doesn't come out and say no, because of course, Jesus is claiming to be not just the king of the Jews, um, but the king of the world, coming to set up the kingdom of Yahweh. And so Jesus replies in that way, and then verse 3, it says, The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. And so, again, they, they, uh, the Jewish leaders had said a lot of stuff about Jesus. Um, um, we don't know exactly what they said, but it all kind of combines to all these accusations um, that makes Jesus appear as someone who's a direct threat to Roman rule. And again, there had been several uprisings um, uh, during uh, Rome's time time of ruling over Judea. Um, There had been people who had come uh, claiming to be um, the king of the Jews, uh, uh, Judas the Galilean. Um, So again, a guy from Galilee comes and leads a nationalistic revolt. Um, so they would have known that history; they'd have been sensitive to it, and so they're accusing Jesus of being that type of person. They're painting Jesus as a revolutionary to Pilate because they know that that kind of forces Pilate's hands. That if Jesus is someone who's rebelling against Roman rule, then Jesus deserves death. But Jesus doesn't come out and say, "Yes, I'm rebelling against Roman rule." He doesn't come out and deny that he's the King of the Jews, because of course uh, of the Jews, because of course he is the Messiah. He's the king. He's the anointed one. Um, but Pilate, um, responding to Jesus' kind of um, um, vague way of responding, <laughs> he says, he asks him, look, they've said all these things about you. Aren't you going to say something? Aren't you going to make a defense? Because underlying all this, I think clearly, is that Pilate knows that Jesus has to know that if these things are true, Jesus has to be executed. And so Jesus, um, he wants to give Jesus this opportunity To kind of speak up and say, hey, no, no, these things are false. And pause at this moment and think about all the different people involved, the personalities, what's going on behind the surface. Pilate doesn't like the Jewish leadership. They don't necessarily like him. There's tension. But the Jewish leaders need Pilate to do their dirty work. Because Jesus has gotten the admiration of the people. That's a threat to the Jewish leadership. And they want him gone. Pilate is this brutal, sensitive guy who's standing here not wanting to be strong-armed by the Jewish leadership. But at the same time, if they, if, if they end up um, successfully painting Jesus as a, a political revolutionary who wants to overthrow Rome, then Pilate, because he serves the Roman government, he serves Caesar, he's got to make sure those types of rebellions get stamped out. And again, those have happened in this region over and over again. And he knows that the Jewish people is kind of like a powder keg, that that's very easy for them to erupt into uh, an, an, an uprising against Roman rule. So Pilate is kind of caught here. He doesn't want to do the bidding of the Jewish leaders. He doesn't seem to think that Jesus is obviously a revolutionary. Um, and, uh, and, and yet, if Jesus gets painted that way, he has. Pilate really needs to execute him. And so there's all these conflicting attentions uh, here, all these uh, all these conflicting uh, motivations, and, and tension, and uh, and then you have Jesus who's here, um, who is is has been silent through a lot of the trial before the Jewish leaders, and he's being silent uh, for the most part or vague before Pilate, and and so uh, Jesus is here give, being given an opportunity to speak up and avoid the cross, but he doesn't. Verse five. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Um, so Pilate was amazed, I think amazed that Jesus uh, would not speak up to defend his life because again, Pilate has to know that Jesus has to know where this is going to end if Jesus gets painted as a revolutionary. And, and so Mark then tells us about this custom. Um, he says in verse 6, Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. Now um, we know that, that some customs like this existed um, throughout the Roman world. And to my knowledge, um, this custom at the the Passover is not mentioned outside of the gospels but um, but Pilate seemed to have a custom to where the people could request a prisoner who would be released um, and and again, Pilate was seen as a brutal leader you have you have the Jewish people um, who who are often seen as as being a powder keg for uprisings. they are all kind of gathered here in the city. Um, uh, to 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 for a religious festival, and obviously, as we've gone over a lot, their their religion leads them to not want the Romans to be uh, to be uh, ruling them. I mean, they're the chosen people of God, and so their religion ties into their nationalistic fervor, and so they're there for this big um, religious festival, and Pilate, um, and so Pilate probably instituted this custom to get some some goodwill to kind of calm the Jewish people down. So it's this custom that he would release people, uh, release a prisoner at the people's request. And in verse 7, Mark tells us that there was a man called Barabbas. Now, Barabbas' first name is Jesus. So a man named Jesus Barabbas, uh, we learned that from Matthew, uh, was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. So we don't know uh, what uprising this is. Again, there were a lot. And so this very well could have been a a very small uprising that didn't really make it into recorded history outside of the gospels but barabbas and other prisoners had somehow um uh, been a part of an uprising against roman rule um in the midst of that there were murders committed um and so these uh these men are were arrested so likely that the men that were uh, crucified with jesus were all a part of this group of of, of uh of, of people involved in this uprising with barabbas and so um Jesus is there in prison and there's Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, and then there's Jesus of Nazareth. Um and it says uh that the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did, right? So you're getting the picture, again, there's there's a ton of people in Jerusalem, um, but but a group comes up and they're asking Pilate to release somebody, to, to follow this custom that he had for the last few years. By this point, Pilate's been uh in uh ruling Judea for you know four or five years. So for the last few years, he had followed this custom, and he asked in verse nine, "Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?" Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. So you, you get, you get we get insight here into some of Pilate's motivations. He knows that the, that the rulers of the Jewish people, these the chief priests, that they see Jesus as a threat to their authority because Jesus is so popular with the people, and Jesus has been calling out their hypocrisy. So out of their own self-interest, their own greed, their desire for power, their desire to protect their reputation, they want Jesus killed. And Pilate knows that. And he knows that they really haven't made this clear case that Jesus was a terrorist against the Roman rule. And so he says, hey, don't you want me to release the king of the Jews? In other words, don't you want me to release Jesus of Nazareth? verse 11, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So you get the picture that these Jewish leaders were there saying, no, 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 we want Barabbas released. We want Barabbas released. Now, why? Why do they want Barabbas released? It's because they want Jesus killed, because Jesus is a direct threat to their authority. Now, they probably didn't have to do a lot of work, because if Barabbas had been, say, one of the leading figures in this uprising against Rome, then he would have probably have been a popular figure there in Jerusalem so a lot of the pilgrims a lot of the uh, the faithful um, who hate Rome they would have known about this uprising they'd have known that Barabbas perhaps was one of the leaders and so they would have there would have been a popular popular clamor for Barabbas to be released um, the Jewish leaders um, interestingly you think about this it's a little little confusing but um, they need Rome to kind of support and back the rule. Remember that the Sanhedrin has some authority that's been handed over to them by the Roman authorities. So they kind of serve um, under the Roman authorities to rule Jerusalem. So they need the Romans to protect their authority. But Barabbas was someone who was rebelling against the Roman authority. So Barabbas is, in an odd way, um, also opposing the authority of the Sanhedrin, but not as directly as Jesus, right? So the the, these, these leaders of the Sanhedrin are there trying to make sure that Jesus gets killed. And and to do that, they need Barabbas to get released, even though Barabbas is someone who is opposed to Roman rule. And Roman rule is what's kind of keeping the Sanhedrin um, having authority and, and power in Jerusalem. And so you see it's all these mixtures and these conflicts. And think about um, um, how easy it would have been for the Jew, uh, for the, the the leaders of the Jews to have seen Jesus as less of a threat than Barabbas, um, but instead they see Barabbas as less of a threat, and so they stir up the crowd to to, to ask for Jesus to be, I mean, for uh, Barabbas to be released. And one more interesting thing is that the crowd, um, the the crowd seems in verse eight to be asking for Pilate to release Barabbas, and Pilate's um, response in verse 9, as I've already read, is, hey, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Um, And and it seems like he interprets the crowd as wanting Jesus of Nazareth released. And one possible explanation, um, so there's a couple. I mean, one explanation of that is, is that he's actually trying to nudge the crowd to have Jesus of Nazareth released because he sees Barabbas as more of a threat to Roman rule than Jesus of Nazareth. But another explanation, which uh, some scholars have put out there, is that since Jesus Barabbas, Jesus, is, I mean Barabbas's first name is Jesus, that the crowd might have been calling for Jesus Barabbas to be released, and Pilate had thought they were calling. You know, because you can see he hears the name Jesus, that he thinks that they're calling for Jesus of Nazareth to be released, and and so what, whether it's because Pilate's trying to nudge the crowd towards Jesus of, of Nazareth being released, or because he mishears them. And misunderstands them. Um, Pilate initially kind of floats the idea of, of releasing Jesus, and it says instead that um, that that the, the the crowd stirred up by the chief priests is demanding Barabbas's release. And in verse twelve, Pilate says, "Well, what shall I, shall I do then with the one you call the King of the Jews?" Pilate asked them. So again, it seems like Pilate's not wanting to crucify Jesus in part, probably because um the jewish leaders want jesus crucified and pilate doesn't want to do what they want to do and in addition pilate doesn't seem to have to think that they've made a case that jesus is a rebel uh, a terrorist against roman rule and so he's going to the people well, what do you want me to do with jesus and they say crucify him now that's startling because the jewish people they they didn't their preference for execution would have been stoning as we've seen um uh, people to death or um uh, or even beheading people and we see that in acts with the way that they they uh the mob violence executed early christian leaders um but instead that they call out for jesus to die not by stoning um not by jewish forms of execution but by uh, a brutal roman form of execution and crucifixion was reserved uh, usually reserved for the uh, for killing people who were rebels against the roman uh state and and also for slaves who uh, did particularly violent crimes and so it was a form of execution that was so brutal so dehumanizing um that it was served, reserved for the worst of the worst um and there were debates in the roman Sina- uh, senate about um should they stop uh, sir, uh, uh crucifixion should they um should they limit it more severely than they did um, and so it was seen even amongst Romans as a very brutal form of execution. And here you have a crowd of Jewish people. Um, we don't know if anybody in the crowd would have been the same crowd who dates earlier had held Jesus right as as the uh, as the king coming into Jerusalem right um, where they they lined the the road with palm branches and he comes in. Um, and uh, so we don't know if, if there's any overlap, but you have a crowd of Jewish people who certainly know about Jesus, who's now calling for him not just to be punished, not just for his, for his teaching to be banned, but for him to be executed uh, in the form of the most brutal Roman execution that was reserved for the worst of the worst. Um, and that even the Romans were sometimes squeamish about executing people this way. And so Pilate responds, why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. So, in other words, what grounds should he be crucified for? So again, you get the you get the picture that Pilate still doesn't get, doesn't think that the case has been made that Jesus is a terrorist, that Jesus is um, an, an insurrectionist, that Jesus is a threat to Roman rule. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. So you get this picture of the crowd just shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the, and the Jewish leaders are kind of there amongst the crowd, kind of egging them on, kind of encouraging them, making sure that they stay steadfast in their demands that Jesus be crucified and Barabbas be released. Um, and so they don't answer Pilate's question. They don't give crimes that Jesus had committed. They just say, crucify him. And so in verse 15, it says, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Now, why does Pilate want to satisfy them? Maybe just to satisfy their demand for this custom. This was a custom that he had, so now he's got to release Barabbas. Maybe it's because he's worried about this, this um, th- their demands for Jesus to be executed and, and Barabbas to be released. That, that would kind of overflow into a fervor that would stir up thousands and thousands of people and create another uprising or another kind of riot there in Jerusalem on, on, on a very crowded festival um, week. Um, we don't know exactly what leads him to want to satisfy the crowd. I mean, again, the historical picture we have of Pilate wasn't that he was a people-pleaser or weak-willed, but for for all these different motivations, maybe to avoid an uprising, uh, maybe just to kind of be consistent with the custom he set up, he releases Barabbas to them, and it says he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Um, So many of you know this, but the flogging of Jesus would have been brutal. They used whips that were often weighted at the ends with bones or pieces of metal. Um, and so that they would, they would uh, uh, cut deep into the flesh and, 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 um, and make deep wounds and, and jagged wounds that would bleed. And so um, they were very brutal. Um, the floggings were very brutal. And sometimes people even died from the flogging itself. And so even though Mark just gives us a line, anybody who would have been familiar with Roman floggings for this period, who's reading this gospel, would have seen in this, um, um, seen in this uh, uh, this kind of half sentence here uh, a very brutal punishment that Jesus endures and then it says he's handed over to be crucified and so we see these 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 all these kind of swirling motivations and these these uh, uh, um, these undertones and the the um, all the tensions that lead to Jesus being crucified I mean um, think about um, all the different things that had to happen all the different um, historical circumstances and, 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 uh, um, and all the different personalities um, and all the different political and religious motivations and personal motivations that had to happen for this story to play out the way it does. Um, again, remember at the, at the very intro I said that a lot of major momentous kind of um, history changing moments throughout the history of the world have happened only because of all these kind of, these mixtures, this very fragile mixtures of motivations and, um, and, and, and actions and and circumstances, where even just one little change could have led to these, these huge, momentous events not happening. And think about all the things, you know, slow down, think about this moment, and think about all the different uh, things that had to happen for Jesus to be handed over, to be crucified By the Roman authorities. I mean, you had to have decades of the Jewish people rebelling against Roman rule. You had to have a Jewish population who sees their relationship with God uh, as being God's chosen people and seeing that as implying that the Romans should not rule over them. You had to have a history of Pilate having a tense relationship with the people and and Pilate having a complicated uh, relationship with the Jewish leadership. You had to have the Jewish leadership having to have a complicated relationship with the people of Jerusalem and with Jesus. So remember, they have to feel threatened by Jesus. And to do that, their their um, their reputation and their authority has to be fragile, right? That that um, the people could easily turn against them. So remember, Jesus is teaching, calling them hypocrites. It's embarrassing them. They're trying to catch him in, in, in false teachings and teachings against Rome and all this. And Jesus keeps outsmarting them. And that's what leads them to want to kill him. Is because he's a direct threat to their rule because he calls out their hypocrisy. So Jesus, I mean, so you had to have this this complicated relationship between the Jewish leadership, where they could feel um, they could feel um, a, a very uh, uncertain about the, the Jewish people's view of them. Um, think about the theological and political understandings of the King of the Jews. That for for that claim against Jesus to be so concerning that it would lead. Pilate to ultimately have him executed. I mean, it had to be the type of claim that that was a direct uh, affront to Roman rule. And you had to have, again, decades of the Jewish people rebelling and people claiming to be the king of the Jews and wanting to kick out the Romans. Think about the brutality of Pilate and the Romans. Right? You'd have someone like Pilate who ultimately um, would would kind of allow the Jewish leaders and people to override his conscience or what little conscience he had to allow someone that he didn't really think was guilty to be executed in a brutal way. Um, think about that, that just the need for the people's, uh, the crowd's hatred of Rome to outweigh their desire, if they had any, to not see an innocent person executed, right? So the people had to be able to be stirred up to want Jesus killed and Barabbas, this popular hero, released. Um, so they would rather save Jesus than, I mean, they would rather save Barabbas than Jesus. And just think about the personal motivations of Pilate not wanting his reputation as a leader to be besmirched besmirched anymore by an uprising, so he wants to avoid that. Um, the Jewish leaders, their thirst for power and money, leading them to want to hold on to their power, so they end up having Jesus executed because he's a threat to that. Think about all those things. All those things had to happen for this to, for this to unfold the way it does, for Jesus to wind up on the cross. I mean, remember... Jesus has made no direct political, I mean no direct claims to be a political ruler. He's avoided outright conflict with the Romans. Uh, remember, they came and they asked him, who should we pay? You know, should we pay taxes? Right? Um, and then he he answers in a convoluted way um, to a, to sidestep that question. Um, he avoided titles that would clearly identify him as the Messiah. Um, so you remember that early on in the Gospel of Mark, he would silence people who would would, uh, call out to him. He would silence demons because he didn't want people to see him as the Messiah. Why? Um, Because they would interpret that as a militaristic um, political ruler who wants to kick the Romans out. So he wants to avoid that. So Jesus has been careful to not not paint himself as this popular uh, nationalistic political ruler to keep people from kind of uh, reacting to him in the wrong way. So Jesus has been careful about that. But yet, all this combines to Jesus being innocent before Pilate, before the Jewish leaders, and all these different motivations and circumstances all combine for him to be condemned. And so, it looks fragile, doesn't it? This whole story, the way it unfolds. If, if just Pilate would have been a little um, uh, more determined not to kill Jesus. If the Jewish leaders would have been less threatened by Jesus, if the Jewish people would have um, uh, had less admiration for Barabbas, if the Jewish leaders would have had a little less of a thirst for to hold on for their power, to their power and to their authority, all these things could have combined for Jesus uh, to Jesus not being handed over to be crucified, and yet all these things combine in such a way that Jesus is flogged and is handed over to be brutally executed by the Roman state. And so if we were looking at this as as any other historical circumstance, we could marvel at how all these different circumstances had to come together and how close it came to Jesus not being executed in this way. But of course, if you've been tracking throughout this whole Gospel of Mark, one thing we see is that Jesus had been very upfront on three different occasions— with his followers, that he was going to be executed, that he was going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. And he says in one place, to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus wasn't just a victim of historical circumstances. Yes, all these different people had their own motivations and their hearts were twisted by sin and greed, um, by by their lust for power, by insecurity, by brutality. And all those things work together for Jesus to be put on the cross. But Mark has been very clear throughout the gospel in recording Jesus' statements that he was going to die. That he was going to give his life as a ransom for many. So our heart's response to this can be anger, can be frustration. That they would kill an innocent person. That they would kill someone who came to bring the kingdom of God. That we would kill somebody who came to bring abundant life. And we can be saddened at Jesus being a victim. But we also have to look at this story. And we see all these circumstances swirling. But knowing that in the midst of that, God working through Jesus was an actor to ensure to choose the cross. To ensure that Jesus went to the cross to give his life as a ransom for us. And our hearts have to swell up with gratitude for that. I was talking to, uh, well, actually over the last, pretty much this whole semester, a group of guys and I have been meeting and talking, reading uh, different writings about um, the death of Jesus, the theological significance for it. And one thing um, that we have ke- continued to come back to is that we as Christians have to have more gratitude. We have to be more moved by Jesus' willingness to die for us as a ransom. For our sins, for our freedom from death, for our freedom from bondage to sin and to Satan. And just like Pilate was amazed that Jesus didn't respond to the accusations by the Jewish leaders, we have to be amazed that Jesus didn't respond, that Jesus kept his mouth shut, that Jesus allowed all these forces and motivations. To end up putting him on the cross. But he did that for us. He did that because that was the will. Not just of the Father. But the will of the Son. And so our response as we continue to reflect upon these final hours of Jesus' life. Has to be gratitude. Yes, there's a lot of theological significance. There's a lot of things we can dive into. To try to understand what's happening. And why um, Jesus' death ends up. Uh, being the means through which our sins are forgiven. But one of the things that Mark is, is drawing out is that Jesus, even though he appears to be this weak victim of injustice, Jesus is the one who had predicted how he was going to die. And he ends up dying that way because he chose it. And he chose it for you, he chose it for me. And every day we should allow that to shape our lives, to shape our obedience. That one thing we learn in this is that what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to continually be grateful that He willingly gave His life up as a ransom for us. So I went way longer than uh twenty five minutes, I went forty one minutes. Um, but Wanted to bring all this out to you guys um, and, and all the complexities of what's happening. I hope that you continue to be helped and informed by the study of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, next week, I'll, uh, next weekend, I'll release a recording where we study through the actual crucifixion and death of Jesus. And um, and what I'm going to do there is is, is um, really just teach through it. I'm not going to try to do any application. Really, I just want you to get. Um, it's going to be a big chunk of scripture. I want you to kind of get an understanding of all that's happening. Um, so that we can kind of hear it with all the all the uh, um, um, uh, implications that Mark wants us to hear it with. In um, the next week, it'll be the final lesson in the Gospel of Mark, it'll be the the um, empty tomb tomb account in Mark chapter sixteen. And I'll um, I say next week, but the next lesson after that, um, and I'll teach that, and we'll go into some implications about the way that Mark ends his gospel, and then we'll be done. But so we have two more lessons left. I hope you continue to tune in. Um, and and listen to them. I appreciate you guys listening to this. Uh, I miss y'all. I continue to pray for you guys, and I hope the end of the spring semester goes well for you.